Well, good morning, church. Y'all can do better than that. Good morning, church. All right. Hey, as we get started this morning, I want to take just a moment to uh, give a little shout out and a thank you to Ben Cantler, our student pastor, who brought the teaching last week. Now, if you were here last week, you'll recall that Ben started out his teaching um, saying some really nice things about mothers, and I hope you all appreciated that. It was a great, great week to be here last week. Certainly a special day. Uh, we had treats on both sides of the, of the street. We had photo ops out there by the fireplace. Uh, the elementary age kids, um, you may not know this, but they decorated little flower pots, and they put dirt in them and had some seeds to take home and, and plant flowers in. Now, you elementary age parents, let's have a moment of transparency and honesty. How many of you had dirt spills in the car on the way home? On behalf of the children's ministry at Fort Christian Church, I apologize for that, but I hope your plants grow nicely. So last week, we also got to celebrate a couple of baptisms, which is always exciting. Um, and it was certainly a memorable day. Now, I, I, I was a little hesitant coming before you today, though, because last week was such a big deal. And I didn't want somehow this to be a little let down this week, so I did some internet searching to find out if there was any kind of special, cool holiday that we could celebrate today. The best I could come up with is National Chocolate Chip Day. It's National Chocolate Chip Day, right? So I thought maybe I would just bring a couple bags of, you know, Nestle's morsels and we'll, you know, cut the tops off of them. We could pass them around and we could just eat chocolate chips during the service this morning. And then I remember that we're not even passing offering trays or communion trays, and certainly passing around an open bag of chocolates would be pretty much a no-no. So we opted not to do that. But instead, I decided we'd make this a special day uh, for at least one person, um, make it a doubly special day, first because it's, you know, National Chocolate Chip Day, but is it anybody's birthday in the room today? Where's Carter Bohart? <laughs> so sad to be Carter Bohart and not to be here. <laughs> is there anybody whose birthday is tomorrow? No. Was it? Oh, no, no. We're going to keep going. You know, we can't celebrate the past. We're moving to the future. <laughs> Day after tomorrow. Anybody whose birthday is this week? Yes. Wait, wait, Tuesday, like Tuesday, like Phil? Next Tuesday, like a week away? No, 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 no. I need like this week, this week. Birthday, this week. Donna? Thursday. So Donna, are you the closest? Yeah, my wife made you chocolate chip cookies. You're, come on up. Some, come, come grab your cookies. Donna Wrightson, everybody. So we celebrate uh, Chocolate Chip Day. We celebrate Donna Wrightson's birthday. Donna um, is one of our coffee bar volunteers. Give it up for Donna. If you're joining us in the room today, I'm really glad you're here. If you are watching online, either live or, you know, delayed, hopefully you're watching online in a safe place where you can be on your device. But if you're watching online, I'd want you to know how much fun you miss by not being in this room together with everybody else, all right? Um, but regardless, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person, I'm really glad that you are here today, that you've joined us. We are in the middle of our teaching series here at Fork called Joyride, and it is a journey through the book 
of Philippians. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to walk through this letter, which focuses on the joy-filled journey that each of us can experience when we devote our lives to following Jesus Christ. Paul, the apostle, in his letter to the church of Philippi, shared these words in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you're considerate in all that you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Paul reminds us that for the believer, that choosing to live a life of joy, it's not merely a suggestion. Rather, it is an encouragement for us to make a willful decision that we can make regardless of our present, regardless of our past, regardless of our future circumstances, that we would make a decision to choose joy. Paul would remind us that for those who have chosen to follow Jesus, that living a life of joy is the standard. It's the expectation. It should be a part of who we are. It's who God has called us to be, and it's who God wants to empower each of us to be. Keeping that in mind, will you pray with me this morning? Lord, we know that this is a, a day where not, it's not always easy to choose joy. God, we know that, that there's a difference between joy and happiness, and happiness is momentary and brought about by our circumstances and situations, and, and, and a joy is something that's internal. A joy is something that, that we choose to do, that we choose to have. It's a, a presence that we have, not a position that we maintain for brief periods of time. And God, we know there are a lot of things right now that could rob us of our happiness. There are a lot of things going on in this world that could rob us of our joy. We pray for the folks who are involved in the tragedy in Buffalo um, this weekend, and, and we know that that's just a hard place. And I know that there are people who are impacted and affected by that tragedy who might be having a hard time experiencing joy right now. God, I know there are people who've experienced loss in their families recently and not so recently who are probably also struggling right now, perhaps, to experience joy. And maybe there's this other stuff that's going on in people's lives, God. We pray that you would enter in, that you would be present, that you would help each and every person who's following after you to experience a supernatural joy. Joy not based on our situation, joy not based on our circumstance, but based on our relationship with you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Life is a joy ride. Life can be a joy ride if we let it. Now, if you missed the first couple of weeks in this series, you're welcome to catch up with them on our website or go to fortchristian.org forward slash the hub and you can find them there. But let me give you a kind of a quick reintroduction. We have the Apostle Paul, the writer of this book or this letter. He was formerly a devout Jewish religious leader, a hater of Jesus, a hater of Christianity, a hater of the church until he himself had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And for Paul, this encounter with the resurrected Jesus changed everything. And the same can be said for you and for me when we encounter the resurrected Jesus, we can have new attitudes, we can have new actions, new hearts, a new sense of joy because a relationship with Jesus Christ changes everything. So Paul, in this letter, wrote to a group of non-Jewish believers a, Jew, a group of Gentile Christians, believers in this Greek city of Philippi. And this letter is full and it's rich with encouragement and it's 
written to a church that is very clear that he loves dearly. And my prayer is that today that we could experience the love that the Apostle Paul had, that we could experience the encouragement that he wanted his listeners to have, and that we would be encouraged to experience a joy ride in our spiritual journey. I wonder this morning, do you need joy in your journey? Are the cares of life, are the demands of others, are the pressures you place on yourself keeping you from real, true, genuine joy? I believe that the Apostle Paul could certainly relate He knew what it was like to have situations and and circumstances that are going anything but his way. But Paul also had figured out what it was like to experience joy, to choose joy in spite of those situations. Paul wrote much of our New Testament and he wrote lots of words of encouragement to believers. And he wrote to the church at Corinth and he's talking about his history, talking about where he came from. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he starts out, he says, I'm an Israelite, I'm a descendant of Abraham, I'm also a servant of Christ, right? And he's trying to just give himself a little bit of credibility. In 2 Corinthians 11, starting in uh, verse 23, he says, I know I sound like a madman, but talking about Jesus, he says, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder. I've been in prison more often, been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced dangers in the cities and in the deserts and on the seas. And I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Wow. And if that weren't enough, during the time that he is writing this letter to the church at Philippi, he is chained to a Roman guard while under house arrest, simply for following after Jesus. What a great example. What a great role model. What great things you and I can learn from him. I want you to take a moment. I want you to think about a person Maybe they're living, maybe they're dead, but they've served as a mentor to you. Someone who has uh, spoken into your life, poured into your life. Someone who has always wanted the absolute best for you, the best life for you, no matter what. Someone who's always wanted you to have joy in your journey. Maybe it was a professor. Maybe it was a wise older neighbor. Maybe an older friend. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was your grandmother or your grandfather. Imagine for a minute going for a walk with them or sitting down to a conversation after a nice meal or sharing a Coke or a cup of coffee or maybe just getting a letter from them that shared their heart and even expressed that they weren't sure when they would see you again or if they would see you again. How would that make you feel? Imagine that's how the Philippians felt 
when Paul wrote his words to them. So if you will, if you like, follow along Philippians chapter 3, or you can just sit back, take it in. Let me read this letter to you, the first 11 chapters of Philippians chapter 3. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reasons for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Listen closely to these next few words. I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's may, way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. As you hear those words, can you feel his love for you? Can you receive the encouragement that Paul has for you today? I wonder if you walked in this room this morning needing that encouragement. There's a lot to unpack here, so let's move in. Paul starts out his, this third chapter of this book by saying, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. No matter what, rejoice. Finally, rejoice in the Lord. He says, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Friends, if you could speak into somebody, if you could give a piece of advice that would protect somebody, that would provide for somebody, that would safeguard their faith, would you take the opportunity to do so? And if you did, what would you say? What would it be? Would it say, would you say to them, rejoice in the Lord? Paul said that was of the most important things I could say to you. Rejoice in the Lord. It's not rejoice in your achievements or rejoice in your successes or rejoice in your accomplishments or rejoice in your abilities. It's rejoice in the Lord and all that he has done for you. I think those are great words to encourage one another with. So did Paul. You see, there are a lot of things in this life that, that we are offered that are, are cheap, that are temporary substitutes for real, genuine joy. 
And maybe you in your walk, maybe in your experience, maybe in your life journey, you have experienced them, that you have experimented with them and come up empty more times than you even dare to count. Paul doesn't just stop there and say, hey, go get joy. He doesn't just tell his listeners, you need joy. He tells his listeners where to find true joy and that it's only found in a relationship with Jesus. You see, our joy in the journey comes when we find joy in knowing Jesus. Friends, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, I would love to have that conversation with you. Any of our leaders here would love to have that conversation with you to walk through that journey, through those steps with you. I pray that you would choose him, that you would not walk away this morning without having chosen a relationship with Jesus Christ and the life and the joy that he offers. Paul's pretty real when he speaks. And I think, Sadly, sometimes we have to be real and recognize that there are things, even in the context of our faith, even in the context of church, that can distract us as followers of Jesus Christ from our true joy. Maybe you grew up in a place, maybe you grew up in a church where those who call themselves followers of Jesus were full of gossip, full of hatred, full of trash talking to one another. Maybe your experience with other Christians has been one in which we are better known for what we stand against as opposed to who we stand for, who we choose to love like Jesus. Just recently I had a conversation with a gentleman and he was very polite, he was very kind, um, but he politely let me know that here at Fort Christian Church we sing the wrong kind of songs. And that we play the wrong kind of instruments. And that we wear the wrong kinds of clothes. Maybe you grew up in a church, in a faith, which was based on rules that one was supposed to follow. As opposed to a relationship with Jesus that was waiting to be had. Would you agree with me? There's not much joy in that. And Paul warned the church in Philippi, don't let that happen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, he says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we worship by the Spirit of God. We who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are fully circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us, and we put no confidence in human effort. Paul was a devout Jewish leader before his conversion to Christianity, before he became a follower of Christ. The Jewish nation had 613 laws handed down through the law of Moses. They were required to follow these. Among them are the Ten Commandments, right? They weren't just required to follow the Big Ten. They are required to follow 613 laws. And it was in keeping all of those laws that made them right with God. But following the law handed down by Moses was not what the life of following Jesus was to be about. And Paul knew it. Paul knew that at the cross, Jesus ushered in a new contract, a new covenant, a new relationship between God and man. And it was based on a relationship of love, not on the works of the law. 
Now, Paul wasn't discounting the value of the law. Paul saw good things in the law of Moses. He weren't saying that all the laws were all bad. You see, of those 613 laws, there were laws that were good. There were laws that were right. They contained principles, and they promoted good community and unity and and moral standards of decency, and they were good. But there were also laws that had nothing to do really with morality. And what they did was they created division and disunity in the long run. And Paul knew that when we tried to bind the Gentiles, those non-Jewish converts, those non-Jewish believers, we tried to bind them as well as the Jewish believers to these laws, that it not only went against the Philippians' ability to rely on what Christ had done for their salvation— But he knew it wasn't just affecting the church of Philippi. There was churches everywhere that were being affected by this idea of going back to the law. You're welcome to keep your finger in the book of Philippians, but we're going to flip over to the book of Acts for a minute where Paul and Barnabas uh, were wrestling with this very thing. It's in Acts chapter 15. He says, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. They said, unless you're circumcised... As required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. And Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Saul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit with the believers. And they told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles, folks like us, too, were being converted. Now listen, Paul in his writing to the church of Philippi and Luke as he's having this, carrying on this conversation and recording this conversation, this incident from the book of Acts, they're talking about circumcision. Guess what? I'm not going to talk about circumcision. See, circumcision wasn't really the issue. The issue was that there were groups of believers who felt that in order for a non-Jew to become a follower of Jesus, that they had to become a Jew first. That he or she was bound by all those 613 laws that the Jews had been bound to. And even though they themselves really struggled to keep them. We'll pick up reading in Acts 15 verse 8. Hearts and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. Verse 10, so why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? Verse 11, we believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Paul recognized and he declared, we are not saved by keeping the laws. We never could be, we never will be. The descendants of of Israel or the Jews, they were not then, they are not now. And the non-Jew or the Gentile, we're not saved by keeping the law either. Paul is insistent. He's crying out to his friends at Philippi saying, don't let someone rob you of your joy in knowing Jesus by making you go backwards. Don't go backwards to a religious system of the nation of Israel of which you were not a part. Paul also wrote to the church at Galatia. 
about this item, this very same thing. After much discussion about Jesus and the law of Moses, Galatians chapter 3, verse 21, he says, is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we would be made right with God by obeying it. The scriptures declare that we're all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Let's go back to what he had to say to the church of Philippi, chapter 3, starting in verse 4, right? Paul's just saying, hey, we, we, we put no confidence in human effort. And he talks about himself for a moment. Here's this, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have more, right? And he starts listing off his strict Religious Jewish pedigree. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a real Hebrew if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now, we know nobody obeyed the law without fault, but I think Paul probably came pretty close to it. So, but if anybody, if anyone could have possibly thought, mistakenly, of course, that being in a relationship with Jesus could be found in being the best religious person possible, I think it could have been the Apostle Paul, right? He was solid. He had the right pedigree, right? The Pharisees were an elite religious group. They were a sect that strictly observed not just the written law, but all the traditions that go along with it. And if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and see Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees, he called them out all the time because they kept adding stuff to the law, adding their own traditions, right? These religious leaders carried an air of superiority. And though Paul himself came from that background, he had the right pedigree. He knew that keeping the law did not lead him to Jesus. And it certainly didn't give him joy. In knowing Jesus. Philippians 3 verse 7. He says I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless. Because of what Christ has done. I wonder my friends this morning as we hang out together. Are there things that you value more than Jesus? Things that you pursue. Things that you have accomplished in the past. Or maybe things that you are dreaming of accomplishing. If you hear nothing else of today's teaching, listen closely to what Paul, a previously devoutly religious murderer of Christians who turned missionary evangelist, who does not know as he writes this letter whether he will ever see freedom again, Paul writes, Philippians 3, verse 8 through 11, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one day, one way or another, I will experience the resurrection. 
from the dead. Friends, Paul is 100% sold out in his desire to know Jesus Christ. His desire to know Jesus is not a couple times a year emotional sort of knowledge. You know, that moving sermon or that well-sung worship song or that, you know, that weekend retreat, you know, kind of knowledge. His knowledge was not a years of book study theological kind of knowledge. You know, a facts and figures and data kind of knowledge. Nor was his knowledge of Christ that he wanted to be a theoretical, well, there must be a God out there somewhere kind of knowledge. No, Paul craved an every day, do whatever it takes in it all the way, every day kind of knowledge of Christ Jesus. Paul says everything is worthless compared to that. Everything is worthless compared to knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord. Why? Because there's nothing else that you and I can desire. Nothing that the world has to offer that compares to the infinite value of a personal knowledge of Jesus. My friends, if we struggle with experiencing joy on our ride, perhaps you and I need to join Paul in his absolute obsession of knowing Jesus. He says, everything's garbage if it gets in the way of us gaining him and being one with him. I wonder, do we ever really lose if we gain Christ? I think Jesus made it kind of clear. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, one of the parables he told, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Sold everything to acquire Friends, if we struggle with experiencing joy on our ride, perhaps we need to get rid of the things in life. Perhaps we need to get rid of everything that gets in the way of that treasure, of that relationship with him. See, Paul reminds us too that being right with God does not come because we're keeping all the right laws, because we're checking all the right boxes, because we're relying on our good works, but instead by faith, having faith in the one who is righteous and in having and pursuing a relationship with him. If we're struggling with experiencing joy on our ride, perhaps we need to quit following a set of rules and instead place our complete faith in the one who wants to rule our life by a simple law of love. In his passionate pursuit of knowing Jesus Paul says he wants to experience his power even if it means being willing to suffer and even die for Christ. You and me, if we, if we struggle with experiencing joy on our ride, perhaps we need to quit expecting that living and loving like Jesus will always be easy or will always make us popular. And we need to recognize that there may be a joy in the struggle of knowing Jesus as well. Friends, if we are to fully embrace the joy ride that Jesus has called us to, we need to find our joy in knowing Jesus.
our joy in knowing Jesus. Perhaps at this point, you're asking yourself, well, what do I do next? How do I pursue this? I encourage you, read the rest of the book of Philippians. Go home and read that on your own. Spend some time, spending time with Jesus saying, Jesus, I want to get to know you. I want to love you like Paul did. I want to pursue you like Paul did. I want to live 100% for you like Paul did. And I encourage you, again, read the rest of the book of Philippians. Just another chapter and a half. Come back next week. Let's look at the idea of having joy in purpose. Joy in purpose. Let's pray. Jesus, as we journey on this joy ride of life that you've called us to, help it not to be about us. God, help it not to be about the stuff that we do, our accomplishments, our good. Paul could have checked off all the boxes that could have made him just a good guy, right? But it never gave him the joy that following you did. And we, we come together in this room, a bunch of imperfect people chasing after a perfect God, realizing that we're nowhere close, most of us, to even being as obedient as the Apostle Paul ever was. Yet we know that our joy doesn't come, our salvation doesn't come, because we do all the right stuff. Our salvation comes by placing our trust in you, Jesus. And our joy comes from getting to know you. So please, Jesus, take us on a joy ride in life. Give us joy in our journey and help us to have joy in knowing you. It's your name we pray. Amen.